Hi friends, welcome to the Arise and Shine podcast where we are calling women of strength to arise and shine in their purpose for the glory of God in every sphere of society. I'm Anianti Sanchez and I know that through this podcast, God will speak to you and show you your authority in Christ to speak life and arise and shine in your God-given purpose. Follow and subscribe to the podcast. Join us every Monday at 9 a.m. as you start your week and your workday. Thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, don't forget to share and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming platform you use. To stay up to date, follow me on Instagram at Anianti Sanchez. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Arise and Shine. I'm so happy to be back with you for another episode and to start and introduce a series that we're going to be going on, uh, which is a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and this closely is tied to, um, honestly, the the purpose of this podcast and my vision or God's vision for starting it in the first place, um, because one of the verses in the Sermon on the Mount um, is, isn't the key verse that God gave me when starting this podcast, but it's a verse that is uh, tied to it. The theme verse for that started the podcast is uh, Isaiah 60 verse 1, arise, shine for your light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Um, but the verse in the New Testament that greatly inspired this podcast is Matthew chapter 5 uh, verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so I just love that, you know, God says this through the prophet Isaiah, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And then Jesus also says to let your light shine. You know, like the song, this little light of mine. Um, you know, I just, yeah, I don't know. I thought of that. Um, but let your light shine before men uh, so they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. And so um, I'm reading this book and it's called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And um his book, it talks about discipleship, but there's also most of the scripture that he refers to is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and um, so a little backstory, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in 1906 and he was a lot of things, but, you know, came from a line of, of theologians and pastors in Germany so he's German and he pretty much grew up, not grew up, but like he lived his adult life in the time of World War II. And so he was a theologian, became a pastor. Um, the war was starting. He went to America and then he was like, nope, I'm called to go back to Germany. And it's crazy because obviously, I mean... Not to say that we're in World War II, but, you know, I would say 
what we went through with COVID kind of shocked the whole world. And in the same way, World War II shocked the whole world and, and it was never the same again. And, um, you know, in these, in these times, it can be so easy to be like, you know what, especially with Christianity, it can be so easy to just want to hide and, you know, being with what the current controversies right now in the world and in talking about, um, you know, government policies and COVID and vaccines and, um, you know, all this stuff that we just um, are facing today. And it can be so easy to be like, you know what? I mean, I live in California. It can be so, and in Southern California to be exact, it can be so easy to be like, oh my gosh, this world is crazy. I just want to move somewhere else to another country. I mean, a lot of people were saying that, especially politically speaking, um, whether you're conservative or liberal, um, you know, people are just like on both sides, just wanting to escape the political, um, the political climate in America. And that can be felt by everyone, everyone, doesn't matter, Christian, whatever, whatever your beliefs are, you know, whatever your political beliefs are, um, yeah, so whatever, whatever your political beliefs are, you know, that's kind of what we're facing. And um, so Bonhoeffer, he's facing this reality that, you know, there's war occurring in his home country. And, you know, it's so crazy. I was I was reading his memoir, the autobiography, or sorry, the biography they have here on him. And he basically was given the chance to like escape to America and not escape. He wasn't, you know, doing anything illegal, but just to spend time in America while the war was going on. And he was so uneasy about it that once he landed in New York, um, he only stayed for 26 days. And, you know, after 26 days, he's like, you know what, guys, I'm sorry, but I have to go back. And so he was so uneasy about, um, staying and and basically avoiding the crisis in Germany and he really felt that God was calling him to go back and so he says he writes to someone before he left America he said um, to, to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war um, if I do not share the trials of this time with my people basically I don't have a right to do that I don't, he says, I don't have any right to participate in rebuilding the Christian life in Germany, his home country, after the war, if he does not also share in the trials of this time with his people. And I just thought that was so beautiful, such a beautiful uh, look at his, his identification of him in the church and his influence. And he used that influence that God gave him to be I mean, this is the reason why he is um, remembered today. So basically, you know, he goes back to Germany and he's a German, but and he's a Christian and he knows he, he has spoken op- openly against Adolf Hitler and has said that, you know, basically they're making an idol out of this man and out of the Fuhrer. And he, so he's speaking openly against but he gets an invitation because he's German. Um, the expectation is either you you um, fight 
for Hitler and Hitler's army or you die. And he gets an invitation to join the German mil military intelligence. And so he goes in to the military and the intelligence, so basically like the CIA, but he goes in as a double agent, as a spy, and he becomes part of the conspiracy to kill Hitler, which is unsuccessful, and he ends up being executed in a concentration camp just days before uh, the Allies come and liberate all of the um, concentration camps. So it's just insane, his life. And, you know, he's basically, he is a martyr. He is a martyr. And um, he wrote this book, Cost of Discipleship, um, and it was published in 1937. So it was well before the war, but things were starting to, you know, heat up politically at the time. And so, so it's not a prison thing. It's not a thing that he wrote in prison. I don't know why I said prison thing. It's not a prison writing, but um, it is so, so good. And so I wanted to both read the Sermon on the Mount, but then also, you know, tie into some of the things that I'm learning from what he wrote. And um, yeah, so as you can tell from the title, the title of that he originally put on it was just called To Follow After and essentially To Follow After Jesus. But he talks a lot about the cost of grace. Um, and he talks about an idea of costly grace versus cheap grace. And um, yeah, before, before I read the sermon, um, chapter five, I'm going to read a little bit of his introduction in this book. Um, and basically, you know, my heart in sharing this is, we're the light of the world. You know, you are the light of the world. That is what Jesus says to you. Um, whether you believe it or not, you know, whether you have been acting like shining your light or not, this is the truth. We are the light of the world. And we are supposed to shine our light before the world so that people can see our good works and give glory to God. But how many times do we hide? And how many times do we not say the right thing? How many times do we not share the truth of God's word out of fear of people, what they think? And this is becoming only, like I'm telling you, the way that the culture is shifting, it's only going to become less and less accepted to be a Christian, less and less accepted to even believe that God, God and the Bible is the truth. Because we're living in a world where, you know, ev basically my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. But as a Christian, we say, no, Jesus is the only way. And that is the truth. And that is deeply offensive now. And not only that, but I think it's becoming dangerous to believe that. Um, n not like you're going to die, but, you know, there you will face persecution. You will face, um, you know you will be outcasted for thinking that um, and no one believes that anymore. No one believes that there's like one source of truth, not even science. People don't believe in science anymore. Like it's just, it's just, I can't even describe. But basically we're, you know, just like in the time of World War II, <laughs> and I'm sorry to be making this parallel, but, you know, because people are like, oh my God, you're saying that it's like World War II. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, 
in this time, um, you know, whatever Hitler said was like it, you know, he was God, he was his, his, you know, propaganda was truth. And nowadays it's like the same is true, but not, I'm not saying anyone's Hitler, but what I'm saying is the idea and the logic that, you know, whatever you say about yourself is true and you are basically God of your own life and only you can say, you know, what is right or wrong. And that's, that's pretty much it. You know, do what makes you feel good is exactly the ideology of today. Do what makes you feel good. Whatever makes you feel good. If it makes you feel bad, don't do it. Um, if someone is telling you otherwise, don't listen to them. And so it's not only like pleasure-based, but it's feelings-based. It's self-based. It's, it's basically idolizing the self and putting self on the level of God. And no one else can tell you anything different. Sorry, just to go on a little side rant, right? But here we go. So, and this is like, you know, entirely opposed to what it means to follow Jesus. Because when you are a disciple of Jesus, a disciple, it comes from the word discipline. You know, it's a discipline and there is a a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And basically the right way to do it is whatever Jesus says in this book, in the Bible, do that, you know, because we're not just here to accept the grace of God and, you know, live our lives unchanged because how are we being the light to the world if we just say we follow Jesus, but then we live however we want to, you know, if we want to follow Jesus and, and look like him and sound like him and be, you know, show that we are a student of, of Jesus, we have to read what the book says and we have to do it. And we're not going to be perfect. And it's not because that's the way to salvation. It's because that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. You know, it's it, a Christian is someone who follows Christ and Christ is not just our savior, but he's our Lord and he's our master. And we take that seriously because he died for us, you know, because he, you know, holds the words of eternal life as, as the disciples tell him, you know, where else should we go? Where else is, will we find the words of life? Where else will we find fulfillment? Where else will we find our purpose if not in God and in the one who created us and our maker and our, and our savior, who died for us and takes our sin so seriously that he himself took on our sin to be with us and to to secure our eternity. And so how can we not how can we not trust him? How can we not give our lives to him if that's what he did to us and he's calling us to do the same? So now Let's read that introduction because it's pretty much on the same lines of what I'm saying. Um, So this is an introduction. He says, when the Bible speaks of following Jesus, it is proclaiming a discipleship which will liberate mankind from all man-made dogmas, from every burden and oppression, from every anxiety and torture which afflicts the conscience. If they follow Jesus, men escape from the hard yoke of their own laws 
and submit kindly to the yoke of Jesus Christ. But does this mean that we ignore the seriousness of his commands? Far from it. We can only achieve perfect liberty and enjoy fellowship with Jesus when his command, his call to absolute discipleship, is appreciated in its entirety. Only the person who follows the command of Jesus single-mindedly and unresistingly lets his yoke rest upon him, finds his burden easy, and under its gentle pressure receives the power to persevere in the right way. The command of Jesus is hard, unutterably hard, for those who try to resist it. But for those who willingly submit, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. His commandments are not grievous, 1 John 5, 3. The commandment of Jesus is not, sorry, turning the page, is not a, short, a sort of spiritual shock treatment. Jesus asks nothing without nothing of us without giving us the strength to perform it. His commandment never seeks to destroy life, but to foster it, strengthen and heal it. Isn't that so backwards from what we, sorry, like so opposite to what we hear today of like, you know, rules are meant to just, you know, um, confine us and, and imprison us and, you know, limit our potential. And that's just the, the narrative that we hear today is, you know, even the, like science, people say that science is just there, is a human construction that's meant to limit us. And yeah, science may not be like entirely perfect all the time, but there are things that we learn from, from the Lord and, and from science that we can trust, but people are distrusting both God and, um, you know, the tools he's given us to understand his creation. And, and so people say, you know, these rules, these laws, these laws, these regulations, these, you know, what Jesus says is meant to, to limit us and to bind us and to, you know, imprison us. And that's, and to kill us. And that's not true at all. You know, Jesus says he comes to give us life and life abundantly. And, you know, that's exactly what Bonhoeffer saying. Jesus' commandments, it's not to destroy our life. It's not to take our life, but to foster it and to strengthen and heal us. And that's his true intention as a good father, as our creator. And so he moves forward to how do we apply this to you know, the regular working person, he says, but one question still troubles us. What can the call to, to discipleship mean today for the worker, the business person, the squire and the soldier? Does it not lead to an intolerable dichotomy between our lives as workers in the world and our lives as Christians? If Christianity means following Christ, is it not a religion for a small minority, a spiritual elite? Does it not mean the repudiation of the great mass of society and a hearty contempt for the weak and the poor. Yet surely such an attitude is the exact opposite of the gracious mercy of Jesus Christ, who came to the publicans and sinners, the weak and the poor, the erring and the hopeless. Are those who belong to Jesus only a few, or are they many? He died on the cross alone, abandoned by his disciples. With him were crucified not two of his followers, but two murderers, but they all stood beneath the cross, enemies and believers, doubters and cowards, revilers and devoted followers. His prayer in that hour and his forgiveness was meant for them all and for all their sins. The mercy and love of God are at work even in the midst of his enemies. 
It is the same Jesus Christ who of his grace calls us to follow him and whose grace saves the murderer who mocks him on the cross in the in his last hour. If we were to answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? What decisions and partings will it demand? To answer this question, we shall have to go to him, for only he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us to follow him, knows the journey's end. But we do know that it will be a road of boundless mercy. Discipleship means joy. So so good he says so many good things (laughs) i'm just like wow um he says maybe we may we be able to say no to sin and yes to the sinner i think that's been popularly um it's been popularized today you know um you know like even though this was written in 1937 people still say you know love love the sinner hate the sin so it's it's just interesting to see these things i'm like oh wow this is where we get it from, is people have been saying this all along. Um, so let's get into what Jesus actually says, right? It's so lovely, so beautiful. I just absolutely love it. Um, and, you know, this is kind of what he's saying, right? Is like, who is meant to, you know, follow Jesus? Is it only a spiritual elite? And, you know, what I love is on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to everyone. He's talking to all who will answer the call to be his disciple. And that includes all of us. Um, Of course, he was originally called to the people of Israel. That's Jesus' ministry. But then Paul is, you know, commissioned by Jesus to take it to the Gentiles, which is all of us if you're not Jewish. If you are Jewish, that's great. That's awesome. (laughs) you know, um, but for, for the rest of us, we're Gentiles grafted in. Um, and so let's just get into it. So I'm reading, uh, Matthew chapter five, verse one, and I'm reading the H H C S B version. It's Holman Christian standard Bible. Um, this is what he says. When he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. This is verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one that lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. 
and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Good stuff. That's verses 1 through 15 in chapter 5. And it's, you know, a short 15 verses, but it packs so, so much. And um, I kind of want to focus on the latter part, the end. But the Beatitudes, I just want to spend a second there talking about how Jesus is bringing just freedom. He's bringing freedom and blessing to the whole crowd, everyone that's listening. And he is just giving blessings that seem so contradictory and a paradox to what they're facing in in the day. Because we think, you know, even for us in, in regular life, we think, oh, you know, how can we be blessed if we're not perfect, you know, and, and how can we be blessed by God if we're not, if we're not perfect and doing everything right? And that can, you know, affect us even today, you know, obviously in, in this context, Jesus is talking to people who are living under a religious law and they're being basically told what to do by the, by the Pharisees of the day, the, the priests and the scribes. Um, and the high priests, they're telling the people how to live for God. And so there were so many things in the Jewish law that, or, you know, in the Mosaic law, because it was a law given to Moses, so many things in the law that would, they, it painted a picture of sin, that sin kept us from God, Right. And, but it wasn't just the Mosaic law that the rabbis of the day placed on the people. They put more burdens and more of a heavier yoke on the people. And why do we say that? We say that because um, basically after the destruction of the temple, you know, there were different reactions to what happened. Because basically, you know, the Israelites disobeyed. And they lost their promised land. You know, they lost what God had promised them. And they it was their own fault. You know, they disobeyed. And God said, you know, if you disobey me, uh, I'm just going to... Basically, if you, if you worship other gods, then I'm going to give you what you want. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, hold you down and try to make you stay faithful to me. If you want to go serve other gods, go do your thing. But my hand is not going to be over you anymore. And... And, you know, we could see that as harsh and like, oh my gosh, it's so harsh when God punishes them in the Bible. But really, it's not a punishment. It's kind of like, it's just a consequence of their own actions. It's, okay, you're going to go serve other gods? Well, those gods can protect you. And those gods are false gods, so they didn't protect them. And because of their evil ways, they went into exile. And it was so bad. Like, you know, we think, oh my gosh, God's so harsh, you know, especially when we read the Old Testament, we're like, oh my gosh, the judgment seems so severe, like in Jeremiah. But there were obscene, dark, disturbing, disgusting things happening in the house of God, like sacrilegious things. You know, priests were murdering and, you know, being with prostitutes and 
uh, you know, people were sacrificing children and and um, just basically oppressing people, being violent, uh, not following any of the law. So it was it was not just like any type of disobedience of like, oh my gosh, they weren't perfect. No, it was like you stopped following God and then you went to go do what everyone else did and they did obscene things in the temple, like, uh, you know, stealing from the temple, using the temple uh, for evil, for prostitutes and murders. And it was just, abs- it was evil, you know, absolutely disturbing. And Jeremiah was telling them, like, you have got to stop doing this because the descri- the destruction is coming. You know, basically saying he was just there to warn the people of what's to come because they're not changing their ways. And so after that, you know, fast forward a little bit, um, the priests are like, that's never going to happen again. So in order to not even get close to that, we're going to just be so, so, so crazy legalistic and devout so that we never experience that again. So here they are in Jerusalem. The second temple is built. It's not as great as the first one. And the Pharisees uh, tack on more and more and more and more laws so that people stay so close to holiness that now it's like it's obviously legalistic and they have placed their faith in their own traditions and their own laws over and against the laws of God. So now they've gone swung to the other side of the spectrum. Basically, they're worshiping their own form of righteousness and not God's. So in trying to cling to God, they've now abused their own people with their legalis- legalism. So now we're on the other side of the spectrum, right? Um, and we can see parallels in our own, in, our, in the church today. You know, we can see parallels. Um, there's churches that are so legalistic that they miss the heart of God. You know, there's churches that are so, you know, grace-filled and accepting and wanting to you know, uh, attract people from the world that now they're participating in worldliness and now the house of God is filled with worldliness. And so Jesus comes in and he speaks the Beatitudes over these people in, in Jerusalem that have been so overburdened by all of the legalism of the day and of the teaching of the rabbis. Um, and he says the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is the teaching. And he blesses the poor in spirit. He blesses the people who are essentially far from God, who are, who haven't been able to access God um, for whatever reason. It could be the legalism. It could be whatever pressures were in their life of the day. Those who mourn. Um, are blessed. Those who are meek are blessed. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, um, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called the sons of God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so he is painting a picture of what the disciples of Jesus are to look like what his followers, what the kingdom is blessing, what the kingdom, the vision for what God's kingdom is. It's 
you know, for us who follow Jesus, we can also identify with being poor in spirit at times. We can identify with mourning for sure. We can identify with being meek. Um, We can identify with hungering and thirsting for righteousness, especially in today's culture, right? The things that we see with, you know, children facing more and more people facing, you know, anxiety and depression and drug addiction and abuse and um, all these things that are facing today. Um, you know, social injustice, injustices that are that we're facing today. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, you know, he, he gives a vision, the pure in heart. And, and I love this because it's talking about a purity that is not just of the body, which we see today and that we usually kind of associate it with, but he's talking about a purity in heart and a purity in heart that basically is just like, Jesus, all I want is you. All I want is you, God. A purity of heart that says, I'm only going to serve you, Lord. I'm only going to follow you. Not my own desires, not my own ways, but all I want is to seek you. A purity, you know, when something's pure, it's basically whole in and of itself. It is uh, one thing, you know, when we think about the purity of gold, uh, the purity is set, is basically determined by, is it just gold or is it filled with other things like rocks and other metals? When it's, you know, 24 karat pure means it's not mixed with anything. It's it's just gold, you know, it's solid. And the same thing with our hearts, you know, when our, when we give our heart to God, is it set only on him? Is it set, you know, is our heart and our desires set only for him, you know, or is it mixed with these other desires? And obviously none of us are perfect, but it's like, you know, have we set our desires fully on him? Have we set our heart only on Jesus, you know, and if not, basically the, you know, it says right here, the, the level of our purity of our heart is the level that we will see God. Because if we fill our heart with love of other things, with love of self, with love of the world, you know, with love of any of our sinful desires, um, it really, and, and it doesn't ha- have to be sinful, you know, anything that is good could be an idol, you know, children can be an idol, family could be an idol, marriage can be an idol, work can be an idol, um, money can be an idol, uh, comfort, food, I don't know, anything, really, anything good in our lives, opportunities, ministry, you know, titles, power, all of this, you know, essentially in and of in and of themselves, they're not bad. They're gifts from the Lord. But if our love is split, you know, between all these things and not set wholeheartedly on God, we are, you know, very obviously not going to see much of God if our loves are so divided between and in competition with all of these other things if God has to compete for our love you know we're not going to see him as clearly we're not going to hear him as clearly 
So, oh, I just love this. I just love this. Um, and finally, the, the part that I really wanted to get to and focus on is, you are the salt of the earth. This is verse 13. Um, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salt, sal- salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a, a basket but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Um, there is a an, a little excerpt of this book that I wanted to read in relation to that, um, The Salt and the Light. Um, so this is from... The Cost of Discipleship, the book that I'm reading. Um, This is, you know, him talking about the Sermon on the Mount and being the salt and the light. Um, And he says, you are the salt. Jesus does not say you must be the salt. It is not for the disciples to decide whether they will be the salt of the earth, for they are so, whether they like it or not. They have been made salt by the call that they have received. Again, it is, you are the salt. Not, you have the salt. By identifying the salt with the apostolic proclamation, the reformers robbed the saying of all its sting. No, the word speaks of their whole existence insofar as it is grounded anew in the call of Christ, that same existence which was the burden of the Beatitudes. The call of Christ makes those who respond to it the salt of the earth in their total existence. Um, and I love that I'm going to read too when he's talking about the light. The call of Jesus makes us the disciple community not only the salt, but also the light of the world. Their activity is visible as well as imperceptible. You are the light. Once again, it is not you are to be the light. They are already the light. Because Christ has called them. They are a light which is seen of men. They cannot be otherwise. And if they were, it would be a sign that they had not been called. How impossible. How utterly absurd it would be for the disciples. These disciples. Such men as these to try and become the light of the world. No, they already are the light. And the call has made them so. Um, so powerful. Um, so what is he saying? He's saying you, this is another excerpt that he's saying, since you are the light, you can no longer remain hidden, even if you want to. You are the light in your whole existence, provided you remain faithful to your calling. It is the property of light to shine. Now they must be what they really are. Otherwise they are not followers of Jesus. Wow, that's like ouch, right? Um, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, good stuff. So uh, how do we break it down? What does it mean? Um, so when we're talking about the salt and the light, salt is used in the ancient world and now, I guess, but we don't really use it this way, to preserve things. 
and it preserves the it preserves food it preserves the savor the the taste and the the freshness of the food it enriches soil you know it's part of soil it's what's needed to grow and be fruitful so it's both linked to fruitfulness and to preserving the good so fruitful being fruitful of the good things and preserving what is good but if it loses its saltiness then what good is it and so you know and salt has to be dispersed it has to be it has to be placed on things and it has to be placed in things and namely this is in the world you know there has to be in the dirt in the trenches of the world and this is tough because it's like you know it shows that we serve a purpose in the world that we're not just meant to you know huddle on Sundays and just you know pat ourselves on the back and be like yeah great job today sitting in the chair <laughs> I don't mean to you know step on your toes but it's like really this is what Jesus tells us he says you got to get in there you got to get in you got to get dirty you know it's going to be it's going to be tough but this is what we're called to do you know this is our purpose this is our function we're, we don't just are we're not just called to sit there and look pretty you know we're called to actually do something with the grace that has been given us we're called to go and love people we're called to go and share the goodness of god we're called to go and preach the gospel both with our words and with our deeds and that's what jesus says they will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another and so that the salt points to like the function of who we are as as believers we are made we are called to go and change the world and make it better we're called to um we're called to serve that's what we're do we're called to do we're called to serve the world and so we can't just go and hide from it and we know that we play a we are god's plan a we there's not a plan b to how he's going to save the world the church is his plan a it's his bride and he's coming back for his bride and we will reign with him when he comes back and so that is our purpose that is our calling that's what we're called to do and i love what he says he says well, you don't have the salt you know you don't it's not you must be the salt it's like you are the salt you became the salt when you accepted christ when you chose to follow christ so it's by the call of christ that we are made to be the salt and in the same way we are the light and again we are the light because christ has called us jesus has called us and now people can see what we have and who we are people can see that we're meant to shine in the world and how in fact do we shine by the good works the good works that we do and bonhoeffer says what these good works are but mainly he 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 connects them back to the beatitudes um he's talking about the good works yeah so it's not based on you know the good things that we do but the good that god does through us um and you know bonhoeffer here says that the good works are poverty peregrination 
meekness, I don't know what that means, <laughs> meekness, peaceableness, and finally persecution and rejection. And so, you know, there's, there's some of us who are going to be called to, and it's in the will of God for us to be persecuted for what we believe. So will we stand true and remain faithful? You know, we're going to be rejected by the world. Uh, you know, the gospel that we carry, the gospel that we preach is Christ crucified. And he's the only way to the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And more and more, day by day, that's becoming a an offensive message. It's always been, but even more so because people don't want to hear and don't agree that there's only one way to God or salvation. There's only one way. Um, they want to know that there's many ways that they can connect to God in a whole slew of ways, however they want to. But this is just simply not true. And and it's crazy because like Jesus gave us his righteousness and the world doesn't want it. You know, Jesus already laid down his life and the world doesn't even recognize it as grace. You know, they recognize it as oppression. And that's the culture that we live in today. That, you know, no, no, it's fine. You know, there's other ways. There's other ways to God. It's just a complete rejection of that, of of God's grace and God's goodness. Um, and again, there's there's no concept of of sin. There's no concept of repentance because it's like, repent from what? I'm doing what makes me feel good and that's all I need to do. You know, it's kind of like, you do you, boo. But really, we can't just all do you. I mean, there, we have a creator. We have a maker. We have a God that died on the cross. Like, that is the truth. And he rose again. That is the truth. But anyway, in, in coming to this verse, you know, basically my encouragement and what Jesus is calling us, not my encouragement, but what Jesus is calling us to do is go out and serve. Go out and shine. You know, arise and shine is what he's telling us to do. To be bold and to not be afraid, to not stand back as the world, you know, just goes by its own devices. We have to rise up. Then now is the time. There is no better time than now. There's no time to procrastinate on this because people's eternities are on the line. And so go and be the light because you are the light. You know, that's what Jesus says. You are the light. You are the salt. Go and serve. Go get in the trenches. Go get some dirt under your nails. You know, um, go shine and don't be ashamed of it. You know, answer that question that your coworker is asking you. You know, respond to the questions that, that your family asks you about God, about your about you serving in church. You know, be bold. You know, reach out to that person that's hurting. Ask them if you can pray for them. You know, honestly, a lot of people are open to prayer. It's it's surprising, but people really are. Like, they don't want to hear about the Bible, but if you want to pray for them, most people don't say no. And so, you know, there's that's obviously little things, but those can be radical things. You know, stand up for what's right. You know, stand up for, you know, what God says in his word you know honestly just just us believers living for god and practicing things like 
uh, like holiness. Practicing holiness is such a radical thing to do in today's age. You know, me just like, you know, choosing not to get drunk and, you know, not to be in an open relationship, to be married, you know, to be faithful, um, you know, to attend church and to, you know, not participate in a whole slew of things, you know, choosing to not, uh, you know, just all these things, not to get into worldliness, you know, not to chase greed and, and lust and, you know, all these things, not to divorce, right? Like not to divorce your spouse is such a radical thing. You know, one day taking our kids to church, that's going to be a radical thing. Just living life the way that that God has called us to live it is radical. It is shining a light, you know, just holding on to the faith is shining a light nowadays in our culture. And it's only going to get more increasingly so. But, but be encouraged because, of course, Jesus has blessed us and he's called us to it and he's equipped us for it. And he tells us that we will be blessed, that we will be filled, that we will be comforted, that, that our reward is in heaven and that the kingdom of heaven is ours. And what else can we ask for? What else can we ask for? That the kingdom of heaven is ours. That's that's our reward. That's our prize. You know, he says, be glad and rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. Um, you know, you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of Jesus, because of me, he says. And, you know, this, this happens increasingly more and more as the days go on. Um, you know, and, and I tell people, I get, I get questions. I got question one time of like, oh, but church this, like, you know, basically Christians kind of ruin it. You know, God, maybe, but Christians, definitely not. You know, or religion, definitely not. Organized religion. And, you know, I say, you know, I say very plainly, Jesus didn't like religion. Jesus was not about religion. And they're like, what? You know, but it's true. It's like Jesus was all about the kingdom of heaven. He was about his father's business. He was about his father's heart. And so many times we can turn people away in the name of religion and not radically love people and tell people that Jesus is there for them and loves them and is the savior of their souls. And so many times people are turned away and turned off by religion. Um, But what we really need is relationship. What we really need is intimacy with God. And that is the way that we can be the salt and the light is by letting people know God is for you. You know, God wants to commune with you. God wants to give you joy and and life and life abundantly. He wants to give you his Holy Spirit. He wants to empower you. You know, he wants to set you free from your sin and shame. You know, he wants to set us free. He wants to help us to grow and mature and become who we're called to be, who he made us to be. And that's the message that we give to people, that we don't have to settle for what the world has to offer us, the empty pleasures, the empty delights, the empty the empty desires. None of it is fulfilling. That our true purpose is found in him, that we are 
called to be the salt and light of the world and that people will see that and they will glorify God in heaven and they will see the way we love one another and that's what will make them glorify God in heaven okay I'm gonna end there and I'm gonna just you know quickly pray us out because wow I'm this is the longest I've ever talked (laughs) so there's a record if you say to the end I love you you're amazing but I hope that you took this as your Bible study because we just went in. We just went ham right now. We just went so deep in the scripture. I love it. I'm so I'm so just filled with with awe for Jesus and the life that he's called us to is so challenging, so costly, as Bonhoeffer would say, but so, so worth it. Um, okay, so let's pray. God, I thank you for... This time, Lord, I thank you for this good word that you've shared from your word, God. Um, Jesus, help us to follow you more closely. Help us to see you with our with a pure heart, God. God, bless us. Bring your kingdom to heaven, Lord. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Help us to secure our devotion and our love for you and only you. Set us back to our first love, Lord. Help us to renounce the sin in our lives and renounce any idols that we have and set our devotion again upon you set our focus set our eyes back upon you that you would be the only god that we serve in our hearts you would you would be the only one that we set our eyes upon you you would be the only one that we take that we take your word and we listen and obey it lord for love not for religion but for love and so i thank you lord for these men and women that you've called these sons and daughters that you've called to be salt and light in the earth give us the courage lord give us the strength to be the salt and light give us joy along the journey as we obey you and as we see our reward not just on earth but in heaven in jesus name i pray amen Thank you so much for listening. If you were encouraged by this episode, please share with a friend, subscribe, and follow me on Instagram at Sanchez to stay up to date. Love you and see you next Monday.